So we're going to get right into it today. Um, we believe, you know, we, we just sung with our hearts to God to worship, and now we believe this is part of the worship. We listen with our hearts to what God's Word has to say, and we're going verse by verse through the book of Romans and through the book of John today. We're in John, and we left off at verse 12, and I've titled this, The Light of Life, The Light of Life, and I don't think we need any fancy introduction. I think the scripture itself will grab our attention. When Jesus says this, and let's just look at verse 12, he says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now in John's gospel, John who walked with Jesus, he was an eyewitness. We see in this gospel that John's main objective is to portray Jesus Christ as God. God in a human body who came to save us. And in the Gospel of John, there are seven amazing statements that John makes. They're called the I am statements. I want to show them to you. And uh, I will tell you, notice the top, it says, Ego ami. Ego ami. What is that? In the Greek, that, that's what it means when it says, I am. And when translated from the Greek, from the Hebrew scriptures, ego ami was the same thing God said in Exodus 3 to Moses. Moses asked um, God what his name was. What should I tell him your name is? And what did God say? I am who I am. You tell the Egyptians, I am has sent you. Amazing. So when Jesus uses this I am, do you realize what he's claiming? He's claiming to be the God who spoke to Moses in the form of that burning bush. Now I promise you, cults that come to your door do not see this when they tell you that Jesus is not God. Liberal religious scholars who hate God do not see this. Why? How can they miss it? They don't want to see it. They're, they're blind to it. Their hearts are hard to it. But Jesus makes these amazing statements. He says, I am, I'm God, but then he adds, and here's what's coming with that for those who believe in me. So the first statement we saw already in John 6, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. It's a metaphor. Jesus isn't bread. He's not a wafer in some church. He is spiritual nourishment. 
He's the only way to fulfill your unsatisfied soul when you eat from the spiritual bread Jesus offers. Second thing we'll see today, he says, I am the light of the world, and we'll go over there in a minute, that in a minute. In John 10, he says, I am the door. Jesus is not a wooden door. It's a metaphor, meaning he, he is the way in. He's talking about sheep in that context. He says, the only way the sheep come in is through me. And then he says in the same chapter, I am the good shepherd. It's a metaphor. Jesus was a carpenter. He wasn't a shepherd. What is he talking about? He's saying, I am the good shepherd from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Jesus says, I'm the one that can do that. John 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. In John 14, the night before he died for us, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus Christ is the only way to God. He's the only door. And then the final one we'll see in John 15 he says, I am the true vine. The vine is the source of life and nourishment for a tree, for a plant. Jesus says, I'm the source of spiritual life and nourishment. And only he can give us these things. So these are beautiful statements. And we will look at all of them in detail. So today we look at Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. Let's read it again. John 8, 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Now, if you remember, when, if you were with us and we opened up John 7, this is during the time of the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths, we called it where the people in Israel would build booths. They would build huts, if you will. And their family would camp out. They would eat, celebrate, sing, worship, look at Old Testament scriptures that pointed to what God had done in delivering them from the bondage of Egypt. And during this, this festival... Um, they, they did what was called the illumination of the temple. And so they had these giant candles, giant candles um, that they would put in the temple. There's no electricity. There's no street lights. And when they would light these giant candles, these menorahs, they would illuminate the entire temple. Matter of fact, there are ancient writings that say because Jerusalem was up on a mountain, people could, the, the temple looked like a glowing diamond with light coming off of it. And 
In the midst of them celebrating this, this is the last night of the feast, the candles are lit, the light is beaming, and Jesus says to all of them, I am the light of the world. They would remember that God's light in the Old Testament, that when God delivered them from Egypt, in the daytime, they're out in the desert, and there was a there was a glorious cloud that they would follow. That glorious lighted up cloud didn't look so lighted up in the day. And it was there to cover them and protect them from the sun and get them to the promised land. But when it became dark at night, and let me tell you, out in that wilderness, it was very dark. That glorious cloud became a pillar of light. And so they would follow the light delivered from bondage into the promised land. And now what Jesus is saying, I'm the light that's going to deliver you from the worst bondage that many of you don't realize you have. What is that bondage? It's the bondage of sin. And sin in the Bible many times is seen as darkness so jesus says i came to look to deliver you from your darkness and to give you the light of life not only to illuminate you and enlighten you so you can understand the truth of god god will lead you and then he will get you to the promised land the better promised land heaven and that's the eternal life jesus promise to give here so light again is seen as a metaphor but in this case it's literal what do you mean by that well let me read first john 1 5 5 this is john who wrote the gospel of john and in in his letters he says this in john 1 5 it says this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So it's also, it's, it's a metaphor, but it's also literal because John will tell us in 1 John 4, talking about love and how we should love one another, he says God is love not like god can give you love god is love and here he says god is light he's the one who created physical life in the first chapter of the bible there was no sun no moon no stars yet but it says god said let there be light and he creates physical light out of nothing in a spiritual sense, I think when God says, let there be light, he's saying, let there be a revelation of me. Because that's why the world was created, to reveal himself to people who he wanted to save, who would call on him and trust in him. Scripture says he lives in unapproachable light. God lives in unapproachable light, meaning you can't approach him. You can't get to him. That's why the Christmas message is God approached us because we can't get to him. 
And he wants to give us light and give us salvation. And when you read the last book of the Bible, Revelation, and it describes the new heaven and the new earth, the glorious city, the new Jerusalem it's called, says that there will be no sun or moon to light up the earth, the new earth. What is the light? And John, John writing Revelation tells us the lamb, the lamb, and also the Father, God, are going to light up heaven. So when you get to heaven and you're, you're on the new earth and animals are tame and people are tame and it's glorious and you look up at the new Jerusalem all lighted up, what is that light? It's the light of God. It's God himself. People say, are we going to see God in heaven? Yes, you're going to see light. You're going to see Jesus, God, in his glorified body. But you're also going to see beautiful light that emanates from the throne of our great God. And it's going to be a glorious time. So in a sense, it's literal. But in a sense, it's, it's a metaphor. Because God wants to deliver us from darkness and give us spiritual light so continuing on in first john verse six and seven says watch this if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness we lie and do not practice the truth but if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship with one another and the blood of jesus his son cleanses us from all sin you realize how, what good news that is right there? But he's saying, if you claim to have the light of Jesus Christ, that you believe in that, and he says, but, and you continually walk in darkness, he says, you're lying. You're not practicing the truth. But if you are a true believer, and if you walk in the light, we have fellowship together, in our church, we love one another. We serve together. And the blood of his son, Jesus, cleanses us from all sin. Now, in one sense, our sin is already cleansed, past tense. So you become a believer, all your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. But as you walk in this human body, until you get your new body, you still sin. So you have the light in you at salvation. Your sins are forgiven. But then in your sanctification, as you're growing as a Christian, as you walk in the light, as we walk in the light together, it says instantaneous, our sin is just cleansed. That's a cool thing. So, you know what? Some of, you know, we don't even realize some of our sins. Some of our sins we realize and we confess that. We don't need forgiveness. We're already forgiven. We confess it because we love God. John talks about that later. And that's just if you confess, meaning if God is in you, you will confess. But there are other times we sin and we don't even realize we're sinning. We're thinking thoughts, we don't even realize they're sin. But yet we're walking toward the light of Jesus Christ. And even though we don't even realize we're sinning, it's okay because God instantly cleanses us. It's a beautiful thing. 
The light of God cleanses us. It is a cleansing light. (laughs) We're going to be dealing with that a lot. Northport, I figured that out. That's okay. But that was a good time to beep the horn. Because God is a cleansing light. Maybe he's going to bring the fire truck whenever he wants to make his point. (laughs) So, now let's, Jesus is the light. He offers the light. But now we see the antagonism. Because the religious crowd of the day, they don't want to believe it. They don't want to accept it. They just have willful ignorance. And so they say to Jesus in verse 13, So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself? Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I come from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. So what is that? what's that all about? Well, in the, in the Jewish law, you had to have witnesses. And the, they're accusing Jesus. You're, where, where are your witnesses? And everything Jesus said was a witness. All of his miracles were a witness of who he was. But they just didn't want to see it. They had a willful ignorance. And so they just could never get it. So they always tried to explain it away. There was a great witness when Jesus was baptized. And... We read about that when Jesus was baptized. And why was he baptized? Because John the Baptist didn't want to baptize him because he knew Jesus wasn't a sinner. And the baptism was for repentance. And Jesus said, I'm doing this to fulfill all righteousness. If this is the right thing to do to be baptized, I'm going to do it even though I don't need it. And when he was baptized and went under the water, when he came up out of the water... Scripture says that the Father spoke from heaven and said, this is my Son. And then the Holy Spirit came down in a lighted form. Talk about light. The Holy Spirit is invisible. But God manifests the the Holy Spirit in light who came down like a lighted dove and landed upon Jesus. That was a great witness. And a crowd of people saw that. And actually, when God spoke from heaven, Scripture says it it scared them. They thought it was some kind of loud thunder. But it was the voice of God. So Jesus already made these incredible, he had an incredible witness from God and the miracles and the words he would say. But again, they just didn't want to hear it. What does it mean when Jesus says, I judge no one because in John 5, he says, he is the judge that everyone will stand before. The context is he's saying, I don't judge like you guys do. 
I don't judge by selfishness in the flesh. You guys judge everything in the flesh. You judge people superficially. You go around condemning everybody that doesn't like what you're doing at, to look down on people. And Jesus knew everybody was a sinner, but he said, I, I don't come to condemn. He came to save. But Jesus says, when I do judge, my judgment is true. Verse 16, he continues on and said, even if, yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. Now if you want to bring two witnesses in court, uh, God the Father and God the Son are pretty good witnesses. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, yeah, guys, you have that in your law. Why did God in the Old Testament command that they have two or three witnesses to make sure somebody is guilty or innocent? Because people lie. People lie. And because God knows people lie, he wanted witnesses to give evidence to what was true. God doesn't need that. You know why? Because God never lies. Jesus never lies. The Father never lies. And that's what Jesus is saying. So it's my Father who, who backs me. I've got God the Father backing me. Verse 19. Again, they're blind. They're not listening they, can't, they don't have spiritual ears to hear. They say to Jesus, they said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. That's a fancy way of saying, you don't know who I am personally. You don't want to know me. You're, you're not examining all the evidence that proves who I am, and you don't know the Father. This would infuriate them, telling these religious, high and mighty mucky mucks, you don't even know God, and you don't know me. This is good application for us, because this knowing God is so important. Do you know God? That means, do you know him personally? Are you spiritually intimate with God? You can know about God and not be a believer. You can go to church all of your life and be Christian religious, but you never know God in a personal way. But God wants you to know him. God wants to have a personal relationship, but it only comes when you humble yourself before Jesus Christ and ask God to give you a relationship. I want to show you something about knowing in the Bible. Genesis 4.1 says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, 
And she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. So Adam knew his wife, and she had a baby. I could promise you this, Adam knew more than her name and where she went to high school. He knew her physically in intimacy, and it gave birth to another human being. Every time a baby's born, it's a, it's, a, it's a miracle of God, beautiful miracle of God. But that knowing produced physical life. That physical knowing one another produced a physical life. When the scripture talks about knowing God spiritually, when you know God personally and you're spiritually intimate with him, guess what? It gives birth to you being enlightened by him. What Jesus said, it's what born again is. You know God personally, you're born again. And a light comes on. And you have the light of life within you that's going to give you spiritual life for the rest of your life on earth and then give you eternal life when you get to heaven. So that's a good question. Do you know God personally? When you pray, do you, is it like you're personally uh, close with God in that way where you know Him? God wants that. And if you don't have that, you've got to pray and ask Him for it because that's why Jesus come. That's what He's saying. So you can have a personal, spiritual, intimate relationship with the God who created this universe. And then we'll look at the last verse in, that I'm looking at in John, and I'll, we'll close with a couple verses of application. But verse 20 says, These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Now, this is powerful. He spoke in the treasury, meaning there would have been a crowd of people in the treasury at that time with the, the lights glowing and Jesus saying, I'm the light of the world. But the religious leaders hate him and they just want to get rid of him. They want to arrest him again. Have you noticed, those of you who have been with me in the study of John, John keeps telling us this over and over that they keep trying to arrest him, but no one could do it? Why does John keep telling us? How many times has he got to tell us? John tells us because they were fascinated with it. These guys were able to arrest, they were powerful. They were able to arrest whoever they wanted and deal with whoever they wanted. But no matter who they sent, no matter what soldier, no matter what religious police they could send, they couldn't do nothing to Jesus until it was time. This proves who Jesus was. He was the God in control of this entire event. It's just awesome to me. It never grows old. Jesus was invincible until he wanted to lay his life down and go and die on that cross for you and for me. He's just, a, he's just a great Savior. 
And we should worship him for that. And I want to tell you this. If you're a child of God, you're invincible too. You're invincible. You say, wait a minute, I don't feel invincible. I feel like I'm falling apart. Um, people say, well, yeah, but I know this Christian, you know, he believed in God and he died in an accident. Well, from earth's point of view, it was an accident. From heaven's point of view, that was the will of God. That person, that Christian was invincible until God wanted to come home. He just used the accident to take him home. I tell you this, cancer, the world looks at cancer as a curse. For a believer, cancer is a calling. And, and you're still invincible until God calls you home. And we've seen in our church people display great faith in God in fighting it and then in the end when they said whatever God's will is. And Sammy Pickens said, don't be bitter. Trust in God and tell people about me. And that was a beautiful witness. She was doing the will of God. She was invincible until God wanted her home. So the people of this world can scoff. They can scoff at our Bible, scoff at our Jesus. But they have no idea what's coming. And if they don't humble themselves before Jesus Christ, bad things are coming. But Jesus is a merciful and gracious God. He says, but if you come to me, I'll give you the light of life. There's a story that makes, made me think this week in studying this, how they kept trying to arrest Jesus, but God, God, God the Father and God the Son, God the Holy Spirit were in total control. There's a story, and I told it not long ago, but it was mainly to all the poor Charlotte people. So all you poor Charlotte people, you got to hear these stories over and over again. i gotta tell them to, I got to tell them to the North Port people. But this is a Bible story, so we should never get tired of it anyway. There's a story in 2 Kings. And in chapter 1, the prophet Elijah okay, is the spokesman for God. There was, a, there was a wicked king, Ahaziah was his name, and it says that Ahaziah fell out of a window and was, felt like he was going to die. I don't know what this guy was doing and what made him fall out of a window, probably up to no good, but this king decides instead of coming to God He's a king in Israel for the true God. He sends word to the God of Ekron, God's name, Beelzebub. If your God's name is Beelzebub, you got issues. And I will tell you, Beelzebub became a name for Satan. Because that's exactly what it is when people pray to false gods. You're just praying to Satan because Satan has set that up. Satan blinds the minds of unbelievers so they will not see the light of the gospel. He disguises himself as an angel of light in religion. So people think they're, think they're connecting with God because they're religious, but they're not unless they come to Christ. 
But anyway, he sends word to Beelzebub to give him word whether or not he's going to live. And God doesn't like it. And God tells the prophet Elijah, uh, go and tell the king he's going to die. Okay? He sends word to Beelzebub. He doesn't associate with me. He's going to die. So Elijah sent word. God says you're going to die. Well, this wicked king didn't like it. He was arrogant. And he didn't like Elijah telling him things. So he sent a captain and 50 men to shut Elijah up. And when the captain and the 50 men get there to Elijah, they tell him to come down, you man of God. And Elijah says, if I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you. Guess what happened? Fire came down and consumed all of them. Wow. Word got back to the king. You think maybe he might, that might make you think a little bit. You, wouldn't that not get your attention? He sends another captain and another 50 men. Shut this prophet up. Go and get him. Same thing goes on. Elijah says, if I'm a man of God, let fire come down and consume you. Guess what happened? Fire came down and consumed all of them. But the bonehead king sent another captain and 50 men. But something different happened this time. Because the captain, the captain came to his senses. He realized we can't mess with this man of God. He's invincible. He, he's, he's under the hand of God. And he bowed down and he asked Elijah for mercy on him and mercy on his men. And what does the man of God do? What does God want to do? Gives them mercy. Gives them mercy. And he lets them live. And then he says, now go tell the king he's going to die. <laughs> but listen, listen. Everybody's going to die. They can be arrogant all they want. They can attack God and God's people all they want. But the day that is coming, they're going to face the judgment of God. Scripture says God is a consuming fire. It is a dreadful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. But it's a picture of salvation, I think, because it's like if you ask God for mercy, God will give it to you. He's a merciful and gracious God. And just as that captain asked for mercy, you today, if you're living in darkness, if you're living in sin, you come to Jesus Christ and say, Lord, give me mercy. And when the judgment of God comes in the very near future, you will be saved. You will be protected. Close with these verses. Matthew 5, give you some application. Because if we're, if we're following Jesus Christ, we're true followers, and the light is within us, and we're, we keep walking toward that light, what does God want from us, for his people? Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. 
but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let people see the light that lives within you. If they see the change in your life, if they see what you, how God has changed you, Jesus is saying they'll see what you want. They'll be attracted to that light. Not everybody, of course, but there will be others. So the church, I almost titled this the light of Northport, but, but Jesus is so much more. He's the light of the world, but he does want us as the church to be a light in Northport, and the light is within us. You say, yeah, but I thought Jesus said he was the light of the world. Now he's telling us we're the light of the world. We reflect his light, okay? Our sun, our sun that God put in the right spot in the sky gives incredible light and life. And our sun gives light to the moon. Now, the moon doesn't give off light, okay? The moon is just a big rock in the sky. It can do nothing without the sun. But the moon reflects the light of the sun. I hate to tell you this, but we're nothing but moons. Okay. <laughs> there is no light within me or any of you. I'm sorry. The light comes from Jesus Christ. But because we come to him and he puts his light in us, we can, like the moon reflects the sunlight, we can reflect the light of Jesus Christ. And this is a beautiful privilege that God has called us to do. And I say, church, with all that Jesus has done for us, can we not shine our light to others? Let's all work together in doing this together. Pray with me this morning. It's nice having a time of quiet prayer at the end of church. And again, I hope as you bow your head right now, you can personally talk to God. I hope you don't bow your head and then you just keep listening to me. Because God personally wants to know you. He wants to talk to you. And to make that happen, you have to come to Jesus Christ. So if you did walk in here as a visitor, checking out our church for the first time, I hope you had ears to hear. Jesus Christ came to save you, to give you light. If your mind and your soul and your heart, you feel like you're full of darkness. You have to come to the light. It's Jesus. And if you say, Jesus, help me. God, remove the darkness that's in my mind. Remove the darkness that's in my soul. I want to turn away from this, and I want to walk in the light. I'm going to stop living according to this world and 
supporting the darkness of this world. I just want to walk in your light and glorify you. I want my light to shine to others. If you call out to Jesus for mercy, like that captain did to Elijah, Jesus will give you mercy. Just tell Jesus, I'm so sorry for my sin. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose again. Come into my life. Change my life, Lord. Christians, I know most of your Christians here. That's why you're here today. Rededicate your life to be a light for the Lord. Glorify him back for all the grace and mercy he's given us. Be a light to your family. Be a light to your neighborhood. Together in church, may we be a light together and glorify our great Savior. Father, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for being such a You're just such an awesome God. You're beyond our understanding. You live in unapproachable light. We could not get to you, God, if you didn't come to us. Thank you for the Christmas, the true meaning of Christmas, that you came to give us light and hope and eternal life. I pray this Christmas season... We would worship you, Lord. I pray you'd use our church. I pray that you'd bless the Christmas services. I pray that, that your church would go out now and invite friends and neighbors so they can hear the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, help us to shine our light. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and worship as we close.